it. Welcome to Strata Stories. My name is Thomas Schreiber. I'm the Director of Marketing here at Strata. Strata is a single EMR platform and a revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. On today's episode, Paul Singh, the CEO of Strata, talks with Justin Stiver, the owner of Total Therapy Florida. Justin grew the practice from one to now seven clinics across Florida. Paul and Justin talk through how to pitch physicians, including a step-by-step guide, how to hire a business development person to build relationships with physicians, and how to make sure your clinic is set up to handle lots of referrals. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and see how our EMR and RCM works, head over to stratapt.com to book a demo. Now, without further delay, here's today's episode. So when we started, I just looked at where the patients are coming from, what types of patients we have that will want physical therapy or, or are told to do physical therapy. And I actually heard you talking with Tony Maritato about this in your last episode, but he said something that you know, was along the lines of, I love working with total knee replacements because those patients have a really good reason to come to therapy, you know, and they're highly motivated. They usually don't miss their sessions and we can make some real great gains with those patients and they're super pleased. So that also is true with a lot of post-surgical patients. It's not just total knees. The total knees are on the top of the pyramid because it's such a major surgery and they're stiff and everything else. But whether it's rotator cuff repairs or a total shoulder replacement or an ACL, the bottom line is this person had an operation done and they've already mentally prepared themselves for going to physical therapy or doing whatever else is needed to put their life on hold and get themselves from point A to point B so that they can get back to their normal life. So we immediately said that we want to be heavy into orthopedics. And when we actually, the full story goes circle. I bought my first clinic from Tony Maritato. So uh, just a crazy inside baseball you know, thing there. But he, at that time, was not local down here in Florida. So our business was mostly built on all the word of mouth, returning patients coming in, and there was no marketing in place to go out there to the physician and let them know who you were. So I think when I looked at the referral sources and where these patients were coming from, only in our top 20 referring physicians, only I think two or three of them were orthopedic physicians. Most of them were smaller numbers of the primary care physicians. And if they were orthopedic physicians, it's probably because the patient that had been to us before for something else went to have their knee replaced and loved us so much that they said, I want to go back to total therapy. And the doctor said, you can pick wherever you want to go. That's fine. So they ended up being our referrals, but I would say they weren't directly sent to us for any reason having to do with the physician telling them to. So now if you fast forward five years, And now that was just one clinic, but maybe in a month, our best referring physician would send four or five. And there was a lot of them that sent four or five. But now fast forward five years, we have our top 10 referring physicians. We have some that send 25 to 35 per month company-wide. And it goes all the way down to like, if you look at our number 10 best, they're probably still sending us 12 to 15 per month. So it's like we have this, and by the way, out of the top 10, 
nine or 10 of them are orthopedic surgeons. And out of those nine or 10, eight of them are actually purposely sending to us as their go-to provider. So how did that happen? You know, we decided early on as part of our stages of growth to bring on a director of sales that actually goes out there and makes these sales calls to these physicians, which is that thing that you talk to other practice owners about and they say, I've done that, I've done the lunches, I've done the calls and it doesn't work. And I would say in large, that they're not wrong. That doesn't work if you go in there one or two times, do a lunch and do this, but it's hammering those doctors with your brand. And and honestly, and I think physical therapists, and, and Paul, you can stop me if you want to talk more about something than others, but I think physical therapists love to talk about what they can do for their patient. And the doctors really don't care about that because they honestly right. assume that most physical therapists know what they're doing. And all they hear back from every patient of theirs is how much they love their physical therapist. This is out of the doctor's mouths over and over again. Oh, all my patients love their physical therapist. So you're not like special, no offense. So instead of going that route, what we do is we say, who are you using for physical therapy at this moment? And that tells us kind of how they're thinking about physical therapy. And they say, oh, whoever the patient wants to go to, or I like using this person and this person. And, and you say, okay, what, what are your biggest pain points about, the, about sending your patients to physical therapists? And they get back to you and probably half of the physicians say, well, you know what? I really hate it when the patient comes back in and says, my physical therapist told me blank. And usually it's something like my physical therapist told me that you made my leg one inch too long. And now I'm going to be walking funny the rest <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and you're like, I just hate it. And every time I hear those words, my physical therapist said, I just cringe. and I'm waiting for this bomb to be dropped, you know? So we started learning this was their biggest pain point and this along with a handful of other things. And so we would go in there and that would be our marketing message to the physicians. Hey, we want to partner with you. We know that the outcome of the patient has to do with their happiness with their surgeon, their physical therapist and everything. And by the way, our team is awesome. If you want to talk about physical therapy and the equipment that we have and the, all that stuff, please ask us those questions. But I want to talk to you about the process of how we can make your life easier. So you go and say, when do you want to know a patient is maybe not progressing normally? How much autonomy do you want to give us? And when do you want to know so that when that patient comes back in for their follow-up in two weeks or four weeks, that they're not, you know, you're not walking blindly into this bomb about to go off in your face. So what we make sure we do is we actually create a profile on every physician that we have. And it has all their little nuances, like this doctor really wants a progress note sent over before their first follow-up at week two, or this doctor does not want to be bothered unless this person's legs about to fall off. And we have this all written down based on our experience over years. And we send our team out there, which now consists of a husband and, and wife combination. We send them out there to kind of play damage control, but in a good way. They're always giving the doctor the heads up, like, hey, doc, heads up. This patient that you sent over to us had a fall and their knees all blown up and they're coming back to see you on Wednesday and they're pretty stiff. They're not doing too well. Here's a picture of their knee, just so you know. And the doctor's response is, man, thank you so much for that heads up yeah. because they do not like being surprised. So 
by the way, like as much as I don't want to like pry too much because I only want you to share what you're comfortable sharing, but you're right. Like a lot of other people, if they do this at all, they kind of like dabble and they're like, oh, I did the lunch or I drove around and I stopped by a couple offices and it, you know, it's not, it's just not doing it. Like it's not working. Right. And what you're kind of talking about sounds like more of a partnership where you're, you're going in there and you're saying like, look, we want to help you. And you're, again, if I don't want to pry too much, but out of curiosity, how do you guys think about like, how do you get enough? I don't know if the right word is credibility, but like today you guys are a couple years old. People know you, right? But let's pretend you started total therapy over today. Let's just pretend you started over today knowing what you know today, but you don't have, you know, nine locations, all that stuff. What is the, that subtle set of things that have to happen? Like that director of sales, when they go out there, what are they doing to kind of like get that doctor to actually pay attention that to like notice like, Hey, these guys are different. Does that make sense? Like, I don't know how to ask the question, yeah, but, but how do you get enough rapport with the clinician or the, the physician before you can have those conversations? Well, honestly, the most important thing to point out is that you don't always need a great rapport with the physician themselves. Sometimes but what is important is that you know how that office operates in terms of sending the patient referrals. So I think one other problem that a lot of people have, and I've seen it happen, is they assume that the physician is the person who makes all the calls and sending the referrals. Whereas the truth is, in a lot of offices, it's not the physician. It's someone they trust, mainly because the physician doesn't have time or they just it's not on their plate anymore. So it, maybe it's a physician's assistant or maybe it's a nurse. And sometimes, even in the biggest offices, it's a front desk person. Like the doctor truly says, I don't care where you send them, just send them to physical therapy. And I wish this wasn't true, but it is the truth that ever that we have to face is that some physicians don't value physical therapy the way that we value you in, in terms of one person versus the next or one office versus the next. We can, they kind of think we all do the same thing. So first of all, you have to figure out how the referrals work. So Usually that happens by getting there and doing a lunch. And basically when you're doing lunch, you're spending $1,500 on a big office, 40 or 50 people, because you can't just bring lunch for one person. You got to do the whole office <laughs> right. staff. So, and yeah, you can have a bagel, but screw the rest of you. <laughs> yeah. So actually what we do is like, okay, you know, are we going to spend $500 on a cheap lunch, like a Chick-fil-A or something like that? I mean, I love Chick-fil-A, but you know, that's what they get every day. So am I going to spend $500 on Chick-fil-A or am I going to do a $2,000, you know, steakhouse lunch? And I remember the story about this big ortho office that we were trying to get into. And my director of business development calls me and goes, hey, man, I, I'm torn. Like the team, there's 50 people in this giant office. And I finally got a lunch after going in there 10 times and trying to book it. That kind of blow me off. And I asked them what they like. And and I said, I want to bring you something nice. And I said, well, we like Longhorn Steakhouse. But then this other gal who's really important says, we want Carab like I like Carabas and I don't want to like burn any bridges. I said, so get both of them, get Longhorn Steakhouse and Carabas and bring them both in. And he's like, I can do that. And I'm like, really? Come on, let's do that. So, but that office still to this day talks about how we brought them Longhorn Steakhouse and Carabas. That's the first time anyone's ever done that. But spending that $2,000 on a lunch, what does actually, especially for an, an early practice, say you don't have that, that like, you know, reputation yet with this office is it gets you the chance to ask like one or two very pointed questions. So it's almost like 
whoever's in charge in that office of like making sure that they thank the person that brought them lunch, they'll walk up to you and be like, Hey, thank you so much. You know, how can we help you now? You know, and it's like, it's just a gesture, but instead of what the trap that most people fall into is that, Hey, I would love to get all your physical therapy patients, you know, send them to us. Oh yeah, we'll send to you. Oh, great. No problem. And then nothing comes. Okay. And that $2,000 is down the drain. But what our team does is they ask targeted questions. Be like, okay, look, Sally, I kind of just want to know exactly how the referrals go out. Is it the doctor telling the patient where to go? Is it the front desk? Kind of walk me through how these referrals go out and what's important to know. And you're like, oh no, it's it's not the doctor. It's it's this gal right around the corner here that's, you know, she actually has the little list and she just tells people where to go. And you're like, oh, perfect. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. So now Jason will go in there and like, I mean, and target that specific person. They'll still be nice and to the whole office and do everything, but you can't, you have to know how the referrals go out in order right. to be effective in what you do. Right. So, and I don't mean to simplify, but just to like make the point, you still start with like a lunch, but you're doing something that's memorable. And you're using that lunch specifically to figure out what the process is for that particular practice. And then you use that in subsequent meetings to go even deeper because now you know who the decision exactly. maker is and all that. It's like the most intricate game of chess, you know? I mean, right. and it's so much fun for us because now our team, we meet weekly, we meet every month, every quarter, and we talk about every office and the nuances and we strategize. And whether it's not like, we know that Jason is you know, a great golfer and we have access to this great golf course around us. We know that Ashley, his wife is just like the ultimate, like she can talk to anyone. She's such a sweetheart and she hits it off on certain personalities better than Jason. Jason's kind of like a bull in a China shop and he goes in there and then Ashley is so well-spoken and smooth and everything. And she's so professional and they'll play good cop, bad cop off of each other so well, but we actually plan that out, you know, And the reason why we actually brought on Ashley to help Jason was because these big offices, which are ultimately, you know, if you can turn the faucet on, on one of these big, big ortho offices with eight or 10 orthopedic surgeons, then you're looking at a million dollars worth of sales per year that you're getting out of that, that office. I mean, huge ROI. Yeah. Huge ROI there. Wow. But it's also very technical and you have, it's almost like you have a few seconds to do it right. So what was happening to Jason when he was by himself was that like a nurse or a medical aide or something like that was going over to Jason and talking his ear off. Right. And he didn't want to be rude and blow them off at all. But the doctor or the nurse practitioner or the person that he really wanted to talk to that day comes in and kind of grabs their lunch real quickly and shoots out the back door because they don't like the whole marketing sales thing. They kind of stay away from it. Well, he was like, oh man, I can't blow this gal off because then I'm going to blacklist myself from this whole office. Right. So what yeah. Ashley do is like, they have this kind of eye contact thing where like Ashley will come over and like swap out and he'll, you know, she'll kind of set man. the screen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they just operate at this point, they operate flawlessly. And so I would say at this point, it's, I wish I could say that it's like, Hey, here's the recipe. Here's what you do. But the truth is, and this can probably relate to a lot of other things that we do is all you have to do is just pay attention to what you're doing and Hey, strategize, what can I do better next time? And instead of just following the status quo and saying like, Oh, we need to do a lunch and we need to tell them how great we are. And we need to play this video that has all of our therapists, you know, getting the is actually figure out what is important to them. 
and what is important to the process. And then that's what you make your decisions off of. If you don't mind my asking, so did you do this yourself before you brought Jason on? Or was Jason like the first one you hired and, and you know, figured it out with him? I did some of it myself and I was terrible at it. Yeah. And to be honest with you, it's, I've learned because Jason actually had a sales background. So he actually schooled me a lot in the beginning and said, no, dude, you're doing this all wrong. Like you're not doing this right. And then my partner, Brian, also not a therapist, also very experienced with sales and things like that. He said, no, 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 you got to go after. And that was actually his idea to ask about what's the pain points. And that's kind of how what opened up our mindset is like, yeah, forget what matters to you. Go ask them what matters to them. And nothing matters to a doctor more than something that they're mad about or upset about. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I I like to get into the tactics. So if you want to pass on this question, you totally can. But just out of curiosity. So imagine there's like some other practice owner listening to this right now. And they're like, okay, all right, Justin, I'm in Michigan or whatever. This makes sense. I'm going to go find a sales guy or whatever, or gal, whatever. How do you track, like, what are the metrics you use when you're managing that role? So like, Clearly, there's enough trust between you and Jason so that when he comes and says, I got to do Carabas and the steakhouse, you know, I get it. Half joking, half serious. Like the joking side is, is like, why are you even calling me? Just get both of yeah, them, right? Yeah, exactly. But the serious side is, is yeah. like, this is deploying $2,000, which, you know, is not a, that's not something you want to be doing every day. Mm-hmm. So how do you, like from a business standpoint, day to day, week to week, month to month, like what are the metrics, if there are any, like, is it gut feel or like, how do you measure Jason? Like if there's another practice owner out there and they're going to bring on a salesperson or a business developer or whatever, how should they structure the metrics? It's so hard to have a metric for this because at least in our current system, and maybe someone has it figured out better than us, but it's hard to really tell, are we growing organically or is it purposeful referrals from a surgeon? You know, and if it happens enough times, you can kind of get a gut feel on how it's working. But as far as like the dollar spend go versus ROI type of thing, what did it for us is that we knew that it was going to work if we just did it. It wasn't that, and honestly, it was a lot of nothing for a few months. It was a lot of nothing. And it's also hard to compensate someone for like a percentage of referrals and this and that in our business, because one referral isn't worth that much money to us. It has to come a lot. But one office turning the faucet on is great. So basically, you know, I would say you have to find someone that you trust. You have to find someone that agrees with the philosophy. We, by the way, Jason was not the first business development person we brought on. We brought someone else on for a, a month or six weeks and got rid of them because they were not going in the right direction as far as what we wanted them to do. And everything was kind of combative and, uh, Yes, no, but we should, Mm. you know, and it's like, okay, we're going to be at each other's throats and this is just not going to work, you know? So it's that gut feel of making sure that the person understands your business because in physical therapy, if you get another person that has experience in other sales fields, not healthcare, especially not what I would say, and I don't know if this is a technical term, but a tier two healthcare, like I think physical therapy, because we get referrals from somebody else and we kind of have to report to them in some degree that we can't go about our sales the same way that they would. They go direct to consumer very easily. We, mm-hmm. Because in order to actually bill Medicare, we have to get the physician to sign off on a plan of care. Then, then we're kind of tier right. two, if you want to call it that way. The other thing is, and 
you know, but actually back on, on track there is you have to just stay really close to it. So if I was not interested in the business development and I just said, hey, I want to hire the salesperson and I'm going to look at how many referrals we get per month, I think it would be a great return. But right. because I love meeting every month and I love the strategy, I think that it really empowers our sales team to do a better job and they can speak for me and everything that they say at this point in time. It, it wasn't always like this, but it is dead on with our brand and you know what direction we want to move. Yeah. And again, you can like pass on the question, but just to be direct, like when you're talking to Jason, poor Jason, he's probably listening to this and realizes we're talking about him and he can't defend himself. But like when you're talking to Jason, you know, I definitely get that whole like, hey, are we on the same page? There's that like kind of like you kind of know it when you feel it kind of thing. I get that part. But is there like a quota or a number that you give him? You don't have to share the number. I'm just it's more of a yes or no. Like, do you guys ever talk about numbers with Jason? We pay him well. We probably pay him more than what the average average mom and pop physical therapy marketer would get paid. But we also give him a small percentage of the company profits. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we actually consider Jason a partner of ours. So, which really does, it was obviously a big step for us to do that. But we really did believe that when we started off with one or two clinics, I think we're at two clinics when we actually brought Jason on. If we want to grow to 10 clinics quickly, we need someone who has that partner mindset. Right. And also, it just makes a big difference when he's going to the physician and he's a partner. Yeah. I'm invested here. This is right. my business too. Right. And, and the flip side, you know, and I know nobody ever wants to talk about this, but just the flip side of it is, is that it also aligns the interests. So it's less about, you know put you pushing him, how many meetings did you take? How many coffee meetings did you have? Like, instead of you doing that, it really shifts the, the incentive where now he can pull as much as he wants, as long as he's willing to drive it. Yeah. Which, yeah and he can super cool. participate in a lot of upsides down the road. I mean, he has a significant share and, and it's, uh, yeah, it could definitely mean a lot to him, you know, but it also puts did he come in, from healthcare. Like I know he was in sales, but was he in healthcare before? Yeah, he sold oxygen okay. to all the primary care physicians. And and he basically, the reason why he came to us, and he turned us down the first time. So backstory is I've known Jason for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. And um, he was very successful, doing great. And we took him out to dinner and we said, hey, we really want to get you on board. And he said, this is what I, I'm making. And at least we couldn't afford him, honestly. And... uh you know, I'm going to take this other job with an oxygen company. And he had come from a different oxygen company and they offered him like this big salary. And he said about three months later, he texted me and said, Hey, how's it working out with that new business development gal? <laughs> and I, so I immediately knew something was going on. So I called him and I said, what's going on, man? He said, dude, I am killing it in the sales. I'm getting all these sales and the doctors send us all these patients for oxygen. And my company is like dropping the ball left and right. And they're not getting them hooked up for two weeks. The doctors, I get 30 phone calls a day screaming at me from these physicians that I promised them that we would take care of them. And now my company is not taking care of them. And he said, I only have one reputation in this area with these physicians. And if I want to be relevant in the healthcare field, I can't burn these bridges. So he's like, I'm done 
with his company. Yeah. So we went back out to dinner yeah. and we talked again and he could probably count on one hand how many how many angry phone calls he's gotten in five years with us versus yep. every day with his old company. You know, the thing that's really interesting, and, and I mean this as a compliment, even though it won't, it may not sound that way, is that I don't know if they use the same term in Florida where you're based, but, uh, you know, I live outside of DC. And so one of the common phrases is rainmaker, right? So there's like, whether you're a BDR, SDR, account executive, like all that entire sales umbrella is essentially called rainmaking in this area. And the, the thing that's kind of like that nobody ever talks about is that the best rainmakers aren't looking for a job. They're probably banking it somewhere else, you know? And so the unspoken understanding, especially amongst like, I think the top tier players in almost every industry is that the rainmakers are going to cost something and you can either give them a big fat retainer or you do what you're doing, which is, yeah, you know, healthy salary, but here's a cut of the profit. We're fully aligned. Mm -hmm. You can make as much as you want to make. Just make sure that number grows, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, I know like for you, you've been doing it for a while and your partner, Brian's a super, you know, he's super smart. So, you, you know, you guys are doing this, but I, I see so many practice owners kind of like, and again, it's, I shouldn't just pick on practice owners because we see this in almost every other industry that we invest in as well. But it's like people think that the rainmakers are okay. Like I'll just be really direct and you know, People can hate me. Justin's the smart guy on the call here and I'm just the idiot. But here's the thing, like there's A players, B players and C players. And the B players are actually the ones that are the most insidious. They're the, actually the ones you should be scared of because when a C player and any, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a BDR or a PT or a marketer or whoever, the C player, you can see them from a mile away. They're like applying through the front door and you're like, oh God, why'd you get fired somewhere else? You know? <laughs> The A player never actually is applying for a job anywhere, but people don't think about that. So then what happens is when they get rid of all those C player applicants and they forget that the A player never applied in the first place, they're left with what is actually all the B players, but they think that some subset of those Bs are As. And those B players are the most dangerous because they're good enough to get past that initial filter, but like why weren't they crushing it somewhere else, you know? And I think this is one of those unspoken things that nobody really ever wants to talk about publicly. But as you know, most of the most important decisions made in business are not in the meeting room. They're at the dinner table. They're in the hallway. They're on a Zoom call like this or whatever. So I think it's, that's super cool. If you, um, I'm going to just, maybe I'll put you on the spot and you can take a pass on this question if you don't want to. Out of curiosity, so like, let's just pretend, let's play a hypothetical. Let's say that you were starting your practice over from scratch today, just hypothetically, right? Knowing what you know today, where would you place the importance of that hire? So like hiring somebody like Jason, if you had just started 90 days ago or 180 days ago, you know, obviously you got to think about budget and all that, but just putting all that aside for just a moment, would that role be like, the first hire after your office staff? Or is it like literally the first one? Like, what would you do just shooting from the hip? So I'm actually glad you asked that because I was going to comment on this is the effectiveness of your business development person, or your salesperson driving leads in with these direct to position in marketing, you, you have to have a team in place that can deliver on the product that you're, you're promising to. And actually, to be honest with you, like the physical therapists, just assuming that everyone that is hearing this has good physical therapists and 
delivers on the physical therapy product just fine. And that's honestly, I would say, describes most small practice owners is that they have good therapists. And if they're the head therapist, they're probably able to make sure that the quality of care being delivered in the clinic is great. But it's not always about that. It's think of a faucet turning on on an office because you can't turn it on. That's the other thing. You can't turn it on a little bit. If Mm-hmm. You can't say, hey, I want you to send to us, but only send like five at a time this month because we can't handle the onboarding of more than that. So you have to pretend like you're this giant company right. that can just handle all their business and you have to figure it out. So one thing that really is important is to know that you have to have your systems in place from a you know new patient team standpoint, insurance verification standpoint. You have to be able to get 30 referrals in a day And you have to be able to turn those over in 24 hours. So you have to contact them. You have to verify their insurance. You have to put them in your system. You have to be able to schedule them. And you have to do that every single day. And if you don't have the systems to do that, then you got to be really careful because then the faucet could turn on. You could fumble the heck out of the first few that you get. And then that doctor will never send to you again. So I would say if I had to start over from scratch, my emphasis would be on having, I'd probably be a little bit more staffed than I needed to be on the admin side, on the back of the house. And then I would have my great therapist in place. And then I would make that higher and then start slamming it. And we've had very good success with, and as soon as we, so we centralize all the, you know, new patient on, you know, the insurance verification, the scheduling, all that stuff. We don't have our front desk person doing most of that stuff at the clinics because we want their job to be solely focused on handling the patients as they walk in the door. We don't want them on the phone with insurance companies or anything else. We want them to just be smiling and taking care of the patients Mm -hmm. as they come in and leave. So we've pulled a lot of the tasks like insurance verification and even scheduling because our new patient team schedules the patient out for their entire plan of care before they even step foot in our office. And then the front desk person at every clinic, the patient coordinator, they can tweak that to fit their schedule if they need to. But when we sniff that we're getting a little bit busy on the admin side, that you know new patient team, we've added staff to that. So long before we're like messing things up or fumbling, we add an extra person and we really take our time to actually train them thoroughly. So like we just added one more this week too, and I think one last last month. So mm-hmm. I would say make sure that, and that's something that I could easily see a startup practice owner saying, oh, I can't afford that $25 an hour person. And so to some degree, you have to ask yourself, what am I going to do? Am I trying to grow this rapidly, which we were trying to grow rapidly to eight or 10 clinics because we knew that if we wanted to be really strong player and in the orthopedic world in this area, we have to have more than one or two locations. We have to have the orthopedic surgeon that we're actually marketing to. We have to have clinics surrounding that doctor because, and we kind of reverse engineer it and say like, patients will travel 25 miles to a great orthopedic surgeon with a great reputation, but they won't travel more than five miles to a physical therapist, no matter what. So, Mm We need to have a physical therapy office within five miles of each other or you know, 10 miles for 25 miles around that doctor. 
So in order to do that, we had to get to the size we are now. Because we wanted to do that, that was the end goal. We decided to put the cart before the horse a little bit as long as we were confident in our strategy. You know, something you said there that I think is subtle but super important also is that there is this delicate balance between making sure you can deliver on whatever that, you know, falls in your lap. There's a subtle balance between that and the need to appear slightly larger than you are to be able to attract those deals. That's a really hard line to walk, right? Because what you don't want is like, and I'm, I'm going to just paraphrase here as an example. You probably don't want like the top orthopedic surgeon in the area sending you a hundred patients a week because you just like to your point, you're not going to be able to deliver on that, right? But at the same time, it's this chicken versus the egg, which comes first kind of question. And anyway, it's one of those topics where we probably don't have time today, but it's one of those things that's like important enough that it determines what your growth rate's going to be, but it's not often discussed, right? Like, you know, when we when we think about like, how you grew and how other people grow, and I mean this with all the respect in the world, there's a certain survivor bias that's part of that, right? Like sure. you survived that gauntlet. So, you know, your advice works for you. And that's true. But the real interesting nugget is how you made that choice of like, you know, balancing that line. I have a feeling knowing, like just listening to how you describe this, tell me if I'm right about this. I have a feeling that the way you probably traverse this line is like way back when you guys were smaller. I have a feeling there was probably some random conversation with Jason, you know, as you guys were walking from room to room and you were like, hey, only target these three people, not that big firm. Like you were probably subtly and maybe even unconsciously saying, I can't handle that one. If you win that one, we might, you know, <laughs> we're going to screw that one up but I want you to nail these three. And I feel like that's probably what happened. Is that kind of how you think about it or how you remember it? Yeah. And also the system kind of helps you do that because there's orthopedic right. groups that we still haven't tapped into and we've been trying for five years. So mm -hmm. it's usually the small orthos that have like one person, two person shows or the groups like where there might be eight orthos in a group, but kind of every ortho operates with their own own team, their front desk and stuff. They have little little different parts of the, you know, hospital, whatever they yeah. are in, but we would go in there and, and identify low hanging fruit, which for us to start was the doctors that are 35 to 55 and look like they play golf. And I'm like, Hey, this guy golfs, get him out on the golf course. <laughs> and if you can get a guy on a golf course, I mean, it's a game changer for us. And that's honestly, yeah. we started with like four or five doctors that we were able to actually do that with. And we would throw, we would roll out the red carpet for them. And you know, we'd play at a great golf course and we would meet for lunch before we would go and play golf. We would do the holes. We you know, stay and have dinner at the course afterwards. And we would just make a whole event out of it. And they would leave there going like, oh, my gosh, this is not golf. This is like a whole day. It was awesome. And uh, those doctors are texting us back saying like, hey, when can I get out there again and play with you guys? You know? Yeah. And by the way, it would cost us a couple thousand bucks to do that. I mean, it's and that's what I think you got to like test the fence with and be you know smarter budget wise but when you get in there and have a chance to close on an important part of that actual sales journey you can't be stingy about what you're spending and sometimes you don't have to spend to do it but you can't be stingy about the experience that you're rolling out for these physicians well so here's the thing and by the way I agree with you too I think one of the things people 
commonly sort of roll their eyes at. Like this particular topic we're talking about, I think is one of those topics that people often roll their eyes at because they're like, oh, that's not how the world works. Just the patient sees my degree behind me and like, they're like, oh, I went to Virginia Commonwealth University. I don't know. Right. Like, but nobody really wants to understand the fact that like, there's a certain way the world works. And if you can kind of get beyond that, like romantic notion of entrepreneurship that you picked up on Shark Tank or Succession or HBO's Ballers or whatever, you get to the real root of it, which is like people like doing business with people they like. People respond to the law of reciprocity, right? If you gave them something, they're going to give you something back. It's just mm -hmm. kind of how it works. I know. It is. The other thing is about the direct position marketing, because that's what we're talking about. And to be clear, that's not, we don't put all the, every egg in that basket, you know, for sure. But one thing about it is it's a scalable model too, because the way that we, you know, what happens actually as we grow these clinics is our first X patients, call it 1,500 patients, our first 1,500 patients have to come largely from a physician saying, go to total therapy because I played golf with these guys or whatever. But once those 1,500 come into our clinics, say it's 300 per year for five years or 500 per year for three years, however you want to slice it, X amount of those patients, because now our therapists, and I haven't given our therapists all the credit they deserve because our therapists are the actual closers of this patient. So we need X amount of unique patients sent to us first. And then every other system we have in place brings those patients back in for lifetime value. Okay. And then taps into their friends and family and a returning year after year, you know, two or three times per year. And then now that number, so after three years, and three years is kind of our magic number, what it takes to mature a startup clinic, is after three years, Jason and Ashley barely need to spend any time in that region that office is in because now they're in maintenance mode and the therapy team has taken over for us and done such a great job. That clinic is now full on a waiting list and I'm actually telling the business development team, do not go near Inglewood right now because they're on a seven-week wait. And you're just going to create a bigger problem for us. But it lets them kind of focus on two or three clinics and then move on after two or three years to the next two or three clinics. So you can scale this because you don't need to bring on a giant business right. development team if you have the systems in place, which is definitely, we don't have time for that conversation today, but right. have the systems in place to maintain and build those 1,500 unique patients. So I know we're, we're getting a little tight on time, and um, I'm gonna just preface this with the constant, you can always take a pass on this uh, question if I'm getting too deep here. So to round out this conversation, you started out with, um, you were saying how when you went to PPS, a lot of other practice owners really kind of think about it as all direct-to-consumer or all direct-to-physician, and you're kind of this blend. So one of the questions I would ask you just at a high level, if you're willing to share, and the answer might be no, but when you think about your, like, let's say at the end of the quarter or the month or whatever, whenever you look at your P&L, your total marketing expense, like not just between direct to consumer and direct to physician, but just when you think about your overall bucket of marketing, Jason, and I forget the other woman's name and everything it's else Ashley. you guys might be doing, Ashley. What does that percentage look like of your overall revenue? Are we talking just ballpark? Is this like, as a practice owner, are you allocating 
5% of your monthly or quarterly revenue to marketing efforts, 10, 20, 30, just ballpark? We're at 7% right now. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, we're at 7%. We were as high as 10%. And our goal is to get down as we scale. And like I was talking about, to maybe 5, 5%. Well, and it, yeah, you can get more efficient, right? Yeah, right, exactly. And the revenue is, I mean, we're still year over year. I mean, we were we were like 100, 200% for a couple of years. And, and now we're probably 30, 40% revenue growth year over year. And which is fantastic because we're talking about bigger numbers now. And we're not opening that many clinics like we had been before. But right. I really think that if we can get it down below maybe less than 5%, then all of a sudden it's going to start to impact the bottom line. Well, I think, I think what, and you know, just talking in broad numbers across broad ranges of industries, the thing about it is, is that there are certain economies of scale with marketing as you, for example, as you get more and more well-known, you don't have to invest so much in cold traffic or that sort of stuff. So there are efficiencies that come with that. On the flip side, though, again, just talking in broad strokes here, the thing about it is is that like, it really just comes down to thinking about your marketing expenditure as like a spigot that you can turn on and off, but it's got a lagging, there's a lagging effect of it, right? So it's like, I'm not doing a good job saying this, but like, for example, in the e-commerce world, 99% of e-commerce transactions happen on the day they click the ad, right? Because that's a low trust, low confidence thing. They just click the ad. Yep, I'm going to buy this for my wife. Click, 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 done, right? But what you sell, just like what every other PT or whatever brand has, it's kind of like a higher trust thing, you know, like, and you got to kind of know them and know that they exist and all that stuff. And, you know, so anyway, the point is, is that like, there's this like spigot that's a little bit like, I guess what I'm saying is in the e-commerce world, for example, if I've run out of inventory, I can just turn off the ads, <laughs> like problem solved. I don't have to worry about a wait list, right? Mm-hmm. In your world and in my world, for example, where there's longer sales cycles, attributions a little bit harder, people don't buy from a Google ad. That gets a little bit trickier because if you can turn the spigot down a little bit, you can definitely slow down any problem you have. But turning it back on, it's not instant. It could take 90 more days or you know six more months, depending on the sales cycle. To get into Absolutely. that next clinic. So, but anyway, that's cool. As far as a PT practice profitability goes, too, we were able to drop a lot of our lower payers in the last two years. And we brought throughout all the PT cuts that everyone's had, including the PTA cuts. And we've actually increased our revenue per visit from like $87 to like $97 throughout all wow. those cuts. And that only reason why we we're able to do that was because we had so many patients coming in that we were like, why are we turning away this payer? Because we're telling them we're six weeks out when we're accepting all these you know, lower paying now. So we decided to do that. And that's all because of business development efforts, you know, too. So it's not right. only, so if the practice owner is saying, well, I don't need to, to market because I have a lot of patients, you know, already it's like, okay, well, what's your revenue per visit? What's the value there? Because Oh, I could never drop you out at healthcare because they're 30% of my business. It's like, but they're paying you $50 per visit. So why don't we right. why don't we drive in some $110 payers to take their place? All of a sudden your profits go up like 50%. Right. <laughs> so I think it's something you gotta look at the big picture. And I swear it's as practice owners, you know, we're not good at always doing that.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Strata Stories. Strata is a single EMR platform and revenue cycle management service for physical, occupational, and speech therapy practices that helps you achieve a 99.99% reimbursement rate. If you'd like to learn more about Strata and see how our EMR works, head over to stratapt.com to book a demo.